Hi, I'm Vanessa, a birth and postpartum doula, the modern doula. It takes a village to raise a child, and we built a village for you. In this podcast, we bring together leading obstetricians, mums, midwives, and more to empower you through every stage of your journey. Let us together develop a personalized approach that embraces the fact that no birth is the same. Each mother and baby's journey are unique and special in their own way. In this episode, we speak to the beautiful Elise. We cover so many things in this episode, which is really an insight. Biggest thing is, is listen to your body. We cover so many things from freezing eggs, endometriosis, and a diagnosis of cancer. Hi, Elise. How are you? Hi, Vanessa. I'm good, thank you. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much for coming on. You've got lots to share. You're an inspiration on all levels. But today we're going to talk about a little bit about freezing eggs yes, and journey and we'll continue that. But tell us. So you, well, first you were in the paper. How many years ago was that Yeah, now? so I, well, I mean, my journey started with egg freezing back in 2017. Yes. So um, I'm 36 now. So I was in my, well, I was 29, almost 30 and sort of contemplating, you know, everyone sort of wants the white picket fence, you know, the marriage, the children, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I was single at the time and had always had a dream of, you know, getting married, having my kids young. Yes. I'm one of four. So um, I decided like a lot of my friends were sort of getting married and having kids, you know, at the age of 30, that's sort of where you, you hit, okay, you know, we're all growing up. Think about it. So working in the industry in fertility, um, I was confronted by it sort of a lot. And I thought, oh, egg freezing, like this is such a good idea, preserving your fertility. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's I like an insurance policy. Yeah, an insurance think, policy. Yeah, it yeah. definitely is. Like I sort of thought, you know what, um, it's, you know, I want children, but it's not the right time in my life. I don't yeah. have the man. Um, so why not look at egg freezing? So um, what age were you at this? So I was 30 when 30. I walked in. Yeah. yeah. How did you feel going in? Uh, look, I guess it was a little bit overwhelming. Even though working in the industry, um, you sort of feel, I, I knew what to expect, but at the same time when you're the patient, not actually yeah. sort of, you know, prompting people you're on, the other do, side. you're on the other side of it. Yeah. Like it's like, oh, it is a little bit overwhelming. But yeah. I had a great team behind me. My fertility specialist was amazing. Yep. Um, but, yeah, a lot of people sort of think, oh, but why are you freezing your eggs? Like you're only 30. And who's your fertility specialist? I saw, so Lyndon Hale. Yeah. Um, so Lyndon, he was amazing. Um, but I think in terms of like when you're 30, I think there's a lot of judgment from people. You think? Oh, this was six years ago. I mean, I feel like it's evolving now. now. I know and you think a, it's not that far away, six years. But, like, yeah, things change pretty quickly. Things change. But like, there was a few little comments like, oh, you're only 30. Like, you know, you'll meet a man. Like, Give yourself time. You know, give yourself time. But, you know, everyone's got their own experience. And I think for me it was just an insurance policy. And like obviously, you said. yeah, like obviously also being and working in IVF, you think and you're like, well, what if? Like, you know, even exactly. if you were to meet your man at in six months' time, but yep. what if, right? What if, like, I know. I think it's just we don't realise what happens, you know, like it. it's such a big thing that when you look at like when you're having or you're pregnant and you're carrying a little girl, 
that that little girl has her eggs. Like the generational mm-hmm. of things, it's just like people don't realise, right? So It's funny. I think aren't we born with something like three, um, no, over how many, over a million or something? something? And then like it obviously diminishes. Yeah, that's why you we, think at we think 35. Like, you should have all the eggs and but they diminish. We both worked in IVF and I yep. always remember looking at the graph yeah, the AMA yeah, of like yeah, the decline. Yes. And as you get to like the mid 30s, you're like, oh my God. And I, even though I was on the earlier side, it still made me go, no, I don't want to be. Like that graph, it just goes. <laughs> da, 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 bing. And there. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh my Lord. And you're like 35. We're yeah. just like starting. Yeah, I know. Life. That's just like, you know, you hit 30 and go, oh, life's just beginning. Yeah. So then but, you went off. You So you saw Lyndon have chats with him. Tell us the yeah. process. So people that don't know what it's like. Yeah. So basically side. you book in to see a fertility specialist or you could see your GP beforehand yeah. just for them to run um, a blood test. So yeah. they organise an AMH. Um, which is your hormone. Which is your anti-malarian yeah. hormone. So that basically levels your... Sorry, um, measures your level of <laughs> yes. your ovarian reserve and how many follicles you may have. Yeah. Um, and then you have a pelvic ultrasound, which is like an internal ultrasound. They insert a probe into the yeah. vagina. Yes. Um, for women that don't know, <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot that do. Um, and that sort of measures, obviously, the follicles. And then they can have a bit of an indication yeah. as to how many eggs you may get. Yeah. It's always just a guide, though. Like they, you know, if you have, I think it's the higher your AMH, the more, more. chance you are of getting more eggs. Yes. Um, but again, it's always a guide. So, so you're also an endo- you suffer from endometriosis. I do, so, unfortunately. Yeah. So this was was this also another reason why you wanted to yeah, explore did. or not at the time? Uh, no, it did sort of prompt me. So I have a really good gynecologist, um, and her and I had had a few chats about yeah. you know, again referring back to working in IVF. Yeah. Like I would see referrals coming in, you know, and asking the questions. Yeah, or you'd see referrals saying, you know, couple have been trying for twelve months. Woman suffers from endometriosis. So I would automatically go, Oh my god, that's me. Like. I don't want to get to the point where I'm ready to have a kid, have a baby, sorry, and be like, oh, you know, I had the opportunity to freeze my eggs. So um, my gyna, I did have a chat with her and she said, I think it's worthwhile that you book in with a fertility specialist. Like you said, it's an insurance policy. Like there's no guarantee. Um, So, yeah, the process. I booked in with Lyndon. We did ultrasound and a blood test. Um, And then you sort of get referred to the fertility clinic that you choose to go with. Yeah. Um, and then they organise a counselling appointment because obviously there's a little sort of legalities behind yeah. that. Um, you book. Did you find it useful, the counselling? Um, I did. Like they just sort of go through um, what reasons might, why reasons why and what might happen if you know this. Yeah, sort yeah. of different scenarios and and things like that. Um, you go through a nursing appointment and they sort of run through the medical side and what the injections entail. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the important one is the money factor, so the accounting <laughs> yeah. appointment. Yes. Yeah, because freezing eggs is... Is expensive. It is expensive. But like you say, it's in, it is an insurance policy. Yeah. So you look at it, you know, hopefully I may never have to use, use them, them, but I've got it as a backup. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you they get you ready. Basically. Yeah. So you can pretty much get the process started as soon as like once you've booked in with the specialist, had those appointments, the next day one, meaning like your period or they can bring your period on if you're on the pill or something. Um, And then you sort of start injections from around day three. Yes. And then you're injecting yourself for generally like seven to ten days. How did you find that? Um, It is a little bit overwhelming. 
But again, it's like people think, oh my God, you're injecting yourself every day. But it's they're only like small little pens. Yeah. They're not um they're not like the injections like you get for immunizations. I think no, people are looking at. Yeah. No, they're like little pens and they have all the like the gadgets. Yeah, and, yeah. it's all measured <laughs> yes. accordingly for you. So you just pinch a little bit of skin in your stomach yeah. and um and I think once you do the first once you get the first one over with, you're totally fine. Yeah. Um, and again, for me, I was lucky because I was at work, so the nurses could help. <laughs> yeah, I had a really? few perks of it. Yeah, but like no, I had like, actually Kath was um, my injecting nurse. Yes. She was really good. Bless so, Kath. Yeah. <laughs> yes, famous yeah. Kath at Melbourne IVF. She's yes. helped a lot of people. And, um, but yeah, so there you, and then, so then you're ready. Yeah, so basically injections probably for Ultrasounds prior? Ultrasounds prior, sorry. So, yeah, ultrasounds, um, I'm trying to think back now. You're quizzing me, V, um, from maybe day eight. Yeah. And then you're injecting from day three. So, you might inject till about day 14. Yes. So, they're measuring your, your follicles sort of every couple so of days. So, follicles are your eggs. So, yes. People, yeah. And, you know, they're wanting your follicles to grow a lot. So, you think you can ha- experience symptoms like some bloating, a little bit of pain, nothing like, you know, it's not a walk in the park, but because there's hormones, you, you're injecting those yeah. hormones into you. Um, and then, yeah, once they get your follicles get to a certain point, yeah. um, they then say, okay, you're ready. We're ready to extract those eggs. Yeah. Um, so then you have an injection. I think it's about 30. How did you find, even though that you've got a lot of knowledge, how did you find doing this on your own? Like did you? Um, I'm... A bit of an oversharer. So I had like my friends and family all knew what I was doing. So I think for me, like talking about it made a bit of a difference. That's good. Um, I think for people that, you know, feel like there is a taboo or they they need to be like secretive about it. Obviously everyone does their own thing. But for me, I found talking to people helped. Because then they can sort of help you through your feeling, you know, if you're feeling hormonal. And I went to work one day and I'm like, why am I so emotional? Like I was, I remember, I think I was crying at the drop of, like literally at the drop of hat. I'm like, what is wrong with me? But it was like all those hormones. hormones. But you do want, I think people just don't. Well, and like you said before, like even though it's six years down the track, people are talking about it. People are, uh, you know, seeing it, but they're later in their 30s and going, well, I haven't or I don't know what I want to do and I'm freezing my eggs, Um, it's, you know, you look at the Kardashians and they're all freezing. Oh, I definitely think, like I said to you, there was a little bit of, not not a lot, but a little bit of judgment to me being, you know, 30. Why are you doing it so young? But now, like 30 is sort of the norm. Mm -hmm. Like on anything before sort of 35, women in their 30s to 35s are really now considering it. And, yeah, the Kardashians, I feel like, have... Fully changed the world. Yeah, they're all freezing their eggs, yeah, yeah for a whole other level. I remember too, like at certain ages, and everyone would say when you were turning a certain age, you're like, what's your scary age? And I don't know if that was working in fertility, but 35 was my yeah. scary age. Yeah, I don't know why. It's like, is it just because you're mid-30s and you're just like, oh, my God, I should have like, you know, I always, it's funny, thinking back, I always thought I would be married at 28, first baby at 30, 32, and I'm one of four, so always envisioned having like a big family, but... You know, I'm here, 36, and no children yet. No, that's coming. <laughs> yes. But it's it's that I think we do have to have this idea of what it looks like. I didn't have my children until later on. Yep. And But you do, you have this pressure of it has to look, especially, I don't know, like your siblings, my siblings got married early. Mm-hmm. They started their family early and I'm the youngest. Yep. And it was Same. sort of like... 
Oh, and it wasn't following in the Almost like a little bit of pressure. Yes. Oh, but I'm not following their footsteps. Yeah, Yeah, like why isn't this, oh, but this is how it's meant to go, right? Like you guys have set this standard of this is how it is, but it's not like that. And some people don't want the partner. Yeah, and they're like, I want to, but I don't know if I want to have kids now. Yep. Let me establish myself and then I'm going to have children. That's what I'm finding now. Like obviously the women that I support you would see comes through the clinic that it's not what it is Mm. now about freezing eggs. No, and I mean a lot, you know, it's evolving now. A lot of women are coming in as single women going through treatment either using an unknown donor or like a friend or family member that they may know. It's And it's so good. Yeah, it's amazing. It's so empowering. It is. Yeah. Like I always look at my solo mums and – I just yeah, take my unbelievable, yeah. Like how they do it, they just they're new, and, and we've had clients that have gone, Yeah, I froze my eggs years ago, but now I'm ready to have a baby, yeah, and, and, they, and on their own, or just because they haven't met me, yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, so it's it's um, and I think it, it is now in the media, like we joked about the Kardashians, yeah. doing all, but if we didn't have those people to inspire to get it, mm-hmm. obviously, you're coming from an and, or an area like myself that come work in IVF, mm-hmm. right? So we're seeing what we see come through those doors. It's kind of the norm. I guess you could say it's the norm for yeah. us because we see it every day. But for a lot of people that haven't been through fertility or know about egg freezing, it can be a bit overwhelming and, oh, what's egg freezing like? Yeah, that are, I'm just, but why, why would you do, yeah. why would you do, your egg's going to be okay. But, and I think too back in the day it was like, we didn't need to do those. But then you look at, you know, I have relatives and that they didn't have children because they didn't have that. They didn't have that option. No. They didn't have things like surrogacy or donor, yep. even having donor egg. And people that, you know, freezing your eggs and things like that, you could do it and then donate your eggs. Absolutely. Wow. I know that was a question that came up in the counselling, you know, like oh, really? if, if you if you don't obviously intend to use them all, would you, you've got an option of either discarding the eggs yeah. or um, donating them to another couple or okay. donating them to the clinic Do you have to research. make that decision then? And- I'm thinking back now, V. I don't, you have to tick a box. I actually donated, I opted for donating to research. Oh, beautiful. Um, I just think you can, I think you can I think change I, your from mind memory and, and I back. know, yeah, after when they, when you, after, we'll talk about storing and all that. Yeah, stuff. and then and going then ahead and using, using them. them. So yeah. then you had the, so you got ready? Yeah, so I got ready. I was, you know, they say, yep, you're, that their terminology is you're all ready for trigger, which is, yes. I think I mentioned the injection that um, induces ovulation. So you have that 36 hours before you go in for surgery. Yep. Um, and the nurses call you two days prior. So you might be getting up, you, you know, I think my first one was like 11.30 at night and it's very time specific. So yes. you can't, there's a window, timed. like it's so time. In the fertility world. Time critical. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I was okay. Cat to- wasn't at your house then to give you that injection at eleven o'clock. Uh, <laughs> not for the first one, but we'll get to oh, really? get to the second one. Okay. Um, no, I did the first one yeah. on my own. I was like, yeah. I can do this. Yeah. Uh, I've come this far, and I was proud of myself. You're like ready. It's yeah, nearly game day. Yeah. yeah, nearly game day. I can do this. Um, so then, obviously, the two days after you go into okay. surgery. Yeah. And it's not a general anaesthetic. You're just having like a twilight sedation. Yeah. 
Um, and the procedure itself is really quick. So it's 20 minutes, um, you're asleep, so you don't... Yeah. Well, yeah. You feel like you're asleep, but you're not asleep. But you're not, it's yeah. just a twilight. Um, so you don't remember anything, you pretty much go in um, and then they extract the eggs and there's a scientist there as well. Yeah. So when you go into theatre... Have you actually see- been in to watch an egg retrieval? I haven't actually, I no. Have, have I, you? Yeah, at Monash. That would have been amazing. It's pretty cool to yeah. watch and... Um, so you see, obviously, the fertility specialist. You see the follicles on the TV because mm-hmm. they're doing it all via microscope. Yep. And they get it. And then so there's a little window that goes into the lab. Yep. So they have a little vial that it goes and carries. So there's a nurse that takes us through the window into the lab and under the microscope they... And they're checking those eggs there. Instantly. And, then, oh, and they'll go, see. yep, we've got three eggs. And they'll, they'll not, yeah. So they're going, yep. And then they keep going and yeah. then they count and they, yeah. So it's pretty interesting. There's a whole team that, and there's generally like a little window that they're yep. passing it straight to the lab. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So it's it pretty unbelievable. Three so it happens, yeah, yeah, it happens Insta- instantly. Yeah, yeah. So you know. Yeah. They're checking. So that's why after... You get a note, right? Yes, you do. You get a note. That's the first thing. You know, you wake up and the nurses um, don't generally sort of know, but you go back to recovery and that's yes. where you have your note from the doctor. Um, and I remember I was always like, I'm probably a little bit too optimistic. And I was like, okay, well, knowing uh, working in fertility, yes. you know, people think, okay, you've got 10 eggs. That's yes. 10 babies, but not necessarily. No. Like, yeah, it's sort of like I think from – my experience with the doctor that I work for, he always says you need a minimum 25 eggs for yes. a 90% chance of pregnancy. Wow. So when you think of it like that, like, you know, you, you're sort of needing to guarantee a pregnancy. Well, there's no guarantees in yeah. IVF. No, there isn't. Um, but to guarantee you need a minimum of 20 to 25 eggs. Yeah, for free. So I was like, right, I want 20. I need 20. Um, but I did aim a little bit high and I must admit I was disappointed in the first one. Why? Um, Tell us. So I I, I'm, I should have looked at my record, but I'm pretty sure I ended up with eight the first time. Yeah. Um, so you're like, I'm... Getting 20. Yeah, I was yeah. like, aim high, I'm getting 20. This is going to be. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think I ended up with eight. Yes. Um, so it actually took me. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was happy, like, that I got, yeah. you know, eight. Yes. Like some people come out and they, they don't get any. any or, or they get one. Yeah. So I think, I, you know, I was a little bit disheartened, but at the same time I think I was also appreciative of the number they, that I got. And so well, for listeners and we know, do they automatically freeze them? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So they freeze. So did you go around, did you do a quick one straight away? Like did you go back to back or I did you didn't, just? I had a little bit of a break. So the first one was 2017. Um, and Obviously then you've got to save again. Yeah, and then you've got to save. So I, two years on. So I did another another two rounds. Yeah. I did actually a back-to-back round, which is called a duo stim. Yep. Um, so that was just to sort of get it over and done with quite quickly, like your body does go through a lot. And how did you find doing it? Um, it, a, it, was a, yeah. it was a little bit taxing on your body just physically because yeah. you're sort of as soon as, you know, your body, you're getting your hormones, like your hormones are just in overdrive and, yeah. you know, there's a lot of bloating and your follicles are um, growing a lot. So I think once you get the first egg extraction, I think within – you get your period maybe two weeks later and then you're and then starting you the process again. So it is a lot. It is a lot, yeah. Um, but actually looking back, that was at the basically in the middle of lockdown with COVID for oh, me. Was it? Oh, my yeah. goodness. I can't, 
I can't remember. It feels like the second one. I'm trying to think. I said 2019. It must no. COVID started in 20 2020. 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So I it was because I um yeah I remember it was like still going. So were you edge. at this point still going? I need I need 20. I need 20. I need 20. Yeah, that was my aim. Funny you say that because the fertility specialist that I used to work for, he used to t- talk about it like cricket, like the 2020 oh, yeah. match. That's, yeah. I know nothing about cricket. No, so I'm I, not a cricket fan. Like, Football, yes. Yeah, yeah, cricket, yeah. No. I can't do, <laughs> yeah, like I just, cricket I need to, you know, I have, even though I have a um, someone that, a client of ours that is a very good cricketer. Cricketer, yeah. He asked the team, I'll teach you all about birth, you need to teach me all about cricket, right? So You might have some cricket analogies for birthing. Well, the fertility specialist did the 2020, so that ah, was like sorry, the 2020 yes. match, 2020 eggs, right? Mm. So that's where... This whole now it all may, you know, makes the, sense. Makes sense of why they they want it. Doctors and their analogies. Anyway, yeah. so ha, were you thinking I need a twenty? I was, and or not as much as you oh, were the first. I was just kind of like, okay, aim obviously aim small because the more like obviously the smaller you get, anything yeah. more is a bonus. Yeah. So I didn't want to be sort of yeah disheartened again. Yeah. Um. So. I can't remember the full number, V. I'm trying to think. So now I'll fast forward. Yeah. Um, I've now got 39 eggs Woo-hoo. in the freezer. Yeah, 39. <laughs> 39. So that was over four rounds though. So it yeah. did. So on it, average it probably took, you know, yeah. I was averaging like eight to ten per round. Yeah. So, and I mean for me in my early 30s, like a lot of women do get higher, but it, it depends on each individual. Yeah. And like you said, I suffer from endometriosis. So whether or not that could play a part in my fertility as so well. So tell us about your endo journey. Yeah, so I... Um, when I did you get diagnosed? While you were doing this or did you know prior? Knew prior. prior. So, yeah, I was, I've was. i always suffered from really painful periods. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky and got my period later on. So I was 15. Okay. Um, but basically from day dot, like I was just having, you know, one, one day a month off school and mum would be like, this is sort of not normal, like painful periods. So that was, you know, You've 20 years ago. You've got sisters. Were they, did they have anything no. like you? No. So I've got two older sisters and both of them... Had no. you know the the, the, the regular period. regular period pain yeah. heat pack pain at all fine whereas yeah. I was sort of like sometimes vomiting sometimes diarrhea sometimes in the fetal position yeah. like cradling the toilet at fifteen at fifteen yeah so there was a couple of times where mum was like this doesn't seem normal let's take you to the GP to get investigated yeah I look I did have mum yeah good on my mum mum's <laughs> yes. amazing yes. um the GP sort of just said look didn't investigate at the time and said yeah. look it's just it's just painful periods you know yeah. Panadol Nurofen and yeah and deal with it yeah. I think so yeah. I was sort of bobbed off I guess you could say yeah um I suppose it, it's really hard at that age too because your hormones are rampant and you don't you wouldn't want to do investigation on a, on a even on a, seventeen year old, yeah. at, unless you really needed to, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But there did come a day where Mum, I was so unwell at home, vomiting, diarrhea, and just in in pain that she thought, okay, let's take her to ED because thinking okay. maybe appendix or, or yeah. what's going on. So um, I remember being in ED. They did all the tests. You know, is your daughter pregnant? I'm like, no, I, I can't be. <laughs> yeah. Not pregnant. Um, Mum, can you move the front door? Yes, definitely not. Um, it wasn't. Uh, appendicitis but again it would have been the endo but I was just like oh it's just painful periods here's some medication wow. off you go and send home yeah um and it wasn't so my diagnosis wasn't until the age of 25 
Wow, so you'd gone so for... I'd gone for about, you know, 10 years yeah. almost with and painful I, periods. And I, going back to working in the fertility, so many people are finding out so much later now. Yeah. Of well, what? This is the thing, V. I feel like people either know they have endo because of the symptoms and the pain they're yeah. getting or, a lot, like you said, a lot of women don't realise until they go to try and conceive and then nothing's happening and the doctors investigate. And it's then they like, obviously find the endo. Or the doctor would say this is just your norm yeah, of a cycle. Like yep. this is just your normal period, this is what it is, or you just have heavy periods, right? Yep. I think that, that a lot of it at the start, especially in like in our 20s and things like, where it's like, oh, this is just, that's, oh, that's, you just, that's what, you get heavy periods. Yeah. yeah. You just have to wear a double pad and, you know, yeah. vomiting and it, endometriosis is debilitating. A hundred percent. So debilitating. Like anyone, you know, I think the stats are one in nine women suffer yeah, from endo. endo. And I just think, it's so, I love how there's so much more awareness now. Like yes. looking back to when I was 15, so 20, you know, 21 years ago, it wasn't spoken about as frequently. Like I think GPs didn't have the knowledge of it is so common. And whereas, what to do with it. Yeah, whereas now it's like, okay, pelvic pain, investigate. Yeah. Get an ultrasound, maybe send you to a gynecologist. Maybe we investigate if it's that bad that we do keyhole surgery to To, to check remove, yeah, and, the endometriosis. Yeah, because people think also the endometriosis that it, sits just in the uterus. No, it can be. I'd actually, my gynecologist told me it can be anywhere in the body. Yeah. Like she, I think she said it's, she's in her experience, she's found it, it's been on the brain and in the nose. Like, wow. How unbelievable is that? It can travel. Like people just think it's in. Like down here. Yeah. It's not anywhere in else. The, within the uterus. Yeah, no. it's not. Like it attaches outside, yeah, outside the uterus. Yes. And obviously that is just. Like that, your body's trying to excrete these mm-hmm. things that are appearing everywhere else. You know, it's not, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like it's amazing how the body works and then how the body's letting us know in ways people don't understand, um, you know, and there's been times that um, you just, you can't function. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I can sort of. Thinking back, I'm like, there were so many times where I was in that much pain that I was told this is normal. So you think, okay, well, not to think that you're crazy, but I was like, well, maybe there isn't anything wrong with me. This is just how women cope with their periods. I just have to suck it up for a day and And miss school or miss work. People say to have a baby. Did everyone say, I'll have a baby? Have a baby and that'll fix it. Yeah. It's like, well, you find me the man and you give me the money and I'll do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it's so, yeah, I'll earn you have children. And what happens if you choose never to have children? Never to. Exactly. And then you hear people that are going and having hysterectomies. Yep. At a young age. At a young age because they can't function like this anymore. And it's not just, oh, you get it for two days and you're in the pain. Like Mm -hmm. you can be you know, weak. And I and it doesn't, V, it doesn't even have from a sufferer, like I'm sure a lot of yeah. endo warriors can um, support this, but it doesn't just happen at the time of no. the period. You know, you could be, it just can happen sporadically. I could be at work and I'd be like, oh, I'm getting those cramps. Like, no. So yeah. I get my, I use a little TENS machine. TENS are great. Yeah. So I pull out my TENS machine, pop TENS are great for everything. <laughs> oh, they really are. Get my heat pack. <laughs> yes, I now see. use like a, have you heard of HODL? The huddle, the huddle, the, like the, the, the belt, um, the heat pack. The yeah. Belt. So you're at home and you just like you can walk around with yeah. your huddle on and the tens. Yeah, together. So good. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> They're like my lifesavers. 
<laughs> did you find that medication would help to help relieve the pain? Yeah, but yeah. I did. But so my gynecologist um, and fertility specialist would prescribe me, I shouldn't be sort of saying yeah, but Sindol 4. Yeah. So that's sort of like the worst case. If I'm in it, if yeah. I'm sort of like, I can't get out of this pain. If yeah. Nurofen and Panadol aren't working with a heat pack, then I resort to that. Yeah. But I tend not to want to rely on that. Just, yeah. you know, we don't want to be taking pain relief. No. Chemist Warehouse Pick of the Week are the organic bamboo nappies from Tushy. Firstly, can I just say, how cute is the little pear on the on the nappies? One thing that I love, and I can't stress this enough, is they're 100% biodegradable. You have so much waste when it comes to nappies, wipes, just general waste these days. One is one thing that I just love, so I can't stress that enough. They keep bums dry. They have... The other thing that I love, which is really good for mums and dads going to buy them and they don't know which ones to buy, they're unisex. So you just pick up a packet and go. How easy is that? They're super dry, so soft on bum, and they're just easy to to pack in their nappy bags. I I have a very good friend that's also that's got endometriosis and I would just like, I remember early, like before we were like married and doing our things, but... I'd go to her and she'd be like vomiting in yeah. like in a fetal oh, position. I feel for her. In the shower. Just it's so unfair. Like women, sh- we shouldn't have to go through this. Like it's just, I'm like, this is not normal. And, you know, her. It was, was she diagnosed within, later on? In or? her 20s. With oh, 20. I feel yeah. like, yeah, a lot had to sort of put up with it for, you know, five, ten years. Like it yeah. took me ten years to get a diagnosis as such. Wow. And we're hopefully now that people are talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yep. And we are knowing and there's research. Did you do any alternative medicine? Like did you do acupuncture or anything like I that to help? I did some acupuncture. I did and I found that, that I've got a really good acupuncturist. Yeah, she's um, awesome. Yeah, Amanda. Amanda, Amanda yes. Waldock yes. and Angia. Um, Mans is amazing. But um, so I did find that that can help. Um, so alternative yeah. was, yes, yeah, some acupuncture. I um, have a marina IUD, yes. so that yep. obviously suppresses. Helped as well. Yeah, it suppresses the just the pain because yep. if you're winning your period every month and you're an endo sufferer, then it's, yeah, yeah. It, it sets you back for a couple of days it each does. month. And, and we can't, like, and then it's back it affects again. your life and you don't, you know, you want to get on with life and it's too debilitating. Yeah, because it's like a cliche thing. You're like, I've got my period, I don't want to yeah. go out. And people are like. Just get over it. And yeah, like, get over you it. You don't understand. They don't get it. Unless you've been through endo, I feel like people don't get it. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. yeah. So obviously with the endo, there's some things that have happened in the last, I would say, how many months has it been? Uh, this time last year started. Essentially, yeah. yeah it started in October. So, yeah. yeah, this time 12 months ago. I remember we were having a chat and you were saying, well, also you were wanting to Potentially. Yeah, there's a little bit. Yes. You, you can allude. <laughs> yeah, I you, remember you elaborate. <laughs> I remember you, we spoke and you were thinking, like, I'm going to start a family. I'm mm-hmm. going to do this. I haven't found the one. Yep. I'm going to I'm gonna do it now. I'm gonna, I've got my eggs. I'm, you know, and you're looking and exploring. I was. So, yeah, obviously knowing you personally and as a work colleague, yes. but I remember coming to you and I was like, okay, you're such an amazing doula. You know, I was single That's at the good. time yeah. um, and I had said to you, I'm actually considering having a baby alone. Like yeah. I've sort of explored my options and I've decided to do it. Will you be my doula? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like I need a support. I've got an amazing uh, yeah, mum and sisters. You do. But 
But you kindly agree. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this was sort of, we probably got the process started. And to help, like, as you're starting to help you on the, the doula in a different way, pre. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it sort of started probably mid, oh, maybe towards mid last year. Yeah. Um, so I began the process. So went to back to Lyndon, my fertility specialist, said I've got um, – actually a known donor. So um, he is a friend that I grew up with um, and he's gay. So him and I had quite a few lengthy conversations and he was like, oh my God, Elise, if I could help you, like I said, you know, I want to be a mum. It's always been my dream. So he said, if I can help you create that, like, of course, like, you know, there's a lot of um, moving parts for him as well, because that's a huge thing. Oh, that's a whole nother session. Whole nother session. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We'll we'll go into that another time. But um, he kindly agreed to it. So we sort of went through the process of everything and it was really exciting to be like, daunting for me though, like as a single mum to sort of consider, okay, wow, I finally am achieving my dream of becoming a mum, but I don't have that partner as a support. Yes. So yes, it was exciting, but it was also really overwhelming and scary. So you started. So I did. And then during this time, you sort of start to get more at what we call a, an endo flare up or episode. Yeah, an endo yeah. flare is probably a good way to yep. put it. Um, yeah. So looking back, it's interesting. Um, looking back on my journey, it probably my pain and symptoms um, probably started around mid year last year, maybe June, July. Yeah. Um, and it's lucky that I'm in tune with my body. So I went to my gynecologist and said, okay, I think I'm getting endo back. Can we investigate? But I'd actually only had a lap in the April that year, the year prior, sorry. So she said, look, you know, I don't really, we don't want to do another lap. We've already done three. We know that obviously surgery, keyhole surgery can can cause adhesions and scar tissue. So let's avoid surgery if we can, but let's investigate and do a pelvic ultrasound. So I had a pelvic ultrasound. This probably fast forward to October last year, so October 2022. Had the pelvic ultrasound um, and there was no um, evidence of any endometriosis. However, they found a lesion. They use the word lesion, lesion? in my bowel. Which is endo. Though which is essentially endo I was like, like, oh, it could be endo. Um, so at this point, what are you feeling? Do you have your abdominal, you're having some abdominal pain? Abdominal pain, pain. Yep. yep. So sporadic abdo pain, some loose stools yep. like here and there. So, so common endo. Common endo symptoms. Yeah. Um, and I will go on to say that my sister, I've got two sisters, my older sister who yes. is two years older than me, she'd actually gone through a bowel cancer diagnosis two years prior. Yeah. So when you hear the word from the sonographer, okay, we found a leap, there's a, it was a hyperechoic rectal lesion, I sort of went, oh, couldn't be. And it just sort of bypassed me. I thought, no, I'm 30, uh, I was 35 at the time. It can't, yeah. be, can't be cancer. Absolutely not. So she said, I'll send the report back to your gynecologist and we, you know, book in and have a discussion with her. So I remember that was on a Wednesday evening at around 5.30 I had the scan. And me being probably the overthinker, anxious person that I am, the next day I spoke to Lyndon, yes. my fertility specialist, and said, oh, my God, Lyndon, they've found a lesion in my bowel, like, could this be cancer with my sister's history? Yeah. And he said, oh, all right, let's get the report. And he was ironically operating with my gynecologist that day. Wow. At yep. Edgeworth. So it was just like, you know, timing was was imperative. Yeah. Um, so 
So he went and had a discussion with Claire and I remember he came back at lunchtime and said, okay, given your family history, we're going to escalate this pretty quick. Claire's going to call you. She's also going to speak to a colorectal surgeon, but will most likely get you to do an MRI and a CT. Yeah. So I was like, wow, so much is happening. So that was on the Thursday and I got a call on the Friday to say, yep, exactly what Lyndon had said, that's the plan. So they had gone ahead and booked my MRI for the Monday morning. Yeah. Um, so I was a little bit nervous at this time thinking, oh, my God, like, you know, things we are moving pretty quick. We had lots of in between. Yes, we <laughs> did. Lots of phone calls. I was like, me, could it, like, what, you know. Don't, just each step, each appointment. You yeah. were the calming, you were very much calming <laughs> me down, like, Elise, let's just one step, step at, at a time. time. Because I, my mind was just spiralling. I was of like, course. but what if it's this? What if it's yeah. that? You know, because I had this plan. Yeah. And this had interrupted it. Um, yeah, so the MRI was done on the Monday and yes. Claire, my gynae, called me the Monday night and said, great news, all clear, there's no suspicious. Nothing no, comes up on the MRI. Yeah, they're not, they're not concerned that it's malignant. So I was like, phew, <laughs> yeah. deep breath, I can yes. breathe. Like, it's okay, it's yeah. just endo in the bowel. Yeah. Um, but she did say we just, well, I've spoken to the bowel surgeon yeah. and we just want to get a further imaging just to be sure. Yes. Um, so I think a CT was organised. I must have had it like Wednesday or Thursday that week. Yeah. Um, and the CT came back all clear. Yeah, so ticking so all the boxes. Ticking all the boxes, great. Everything's clear. Yeah. So at this point we're nearing sort of early November, mid-November. Yep. Um, and she said, let's refer you to a bowel surgeon that I work with just to talk about endo in the bowel and what the what implications like. might yep. be. So um, my gorgeous bowel surgeon, Jin, um, I went and met with him and he put my mind at ease and okay. said, look, it just, you know, looking at the scans, it looks like it could be just um, endo in a, in a small section of the bowel, but not. Which is a common thing, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. we said before, endo can be anywhere outside the uterus. Yes. Um, so at that point I the thought. The bowel's not very far off. No. to attach. No, it's yeah. not. yeah. Um, so he had sort of consented me. He said, let's look at some surgery dates. So to yep. coordinate with my gynecologist and the colorectal surgeon. All the team. All the team together. And he said, look, we will consent you for a bowel resection, but that's sort of worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, we'll most likely, he, the way he described it was like, it'll be like a disc resection. So it's like a little hole punch into the bowel. Yeah. They hole punch the endo out and then um, staple it. Beautiful. So you call it a disc resection. So he said that will be like medium surgery, but worst case is the, you know, the full bowel resection. Almost like when, oh, I used to work for plastic surgeons. They used to do like melanoma. Yeah. Like the punch biopsy kind of. Yeah, punch biopsy. Yeah, so basically the same thing with your um, bowel. bowel. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the way that I sort of say whole punch because he was like. It sort of is. You know what it reminds, like I think when I used to watch it with biopsies and things like that is. I've seen a lot of things and people will realise this when we talk on the podcast. It's like an apple core. Yeah, actually, it is. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So, like, you're, like, using picture like an apple core to take that out. Yeah. It's how they're taking the lesion. It's how they're taking the lesion out. So, basically, that's what it looks. Because, actually, when I have worked in plastics, when they take it out, it literally looks like the apple core and the the lesion is within. Within that. So you've got that piece that's removed. So that's, yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Sorry. Something. That's (laughs) how I can describe it to people when they sort of say, but what were you? Yeah. Like an apple core. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that was November and the surgery was scheduled for December. So things were sort of happening quite quickly at this point. Um. And then I contracted COVID. <laughs> oh, yes. I remember, you remember that. Yes. Yeah. I do remember. 
I was like throwing you. Okay, yes, you ca- Vanessa, you, you came to my place. She gave, I was like, you know, I messaged you, you like, you like, I had, you messaged me like, I have COVID. And I was like, oh, what's your temperature? You're like, I don't have a thermometer. And I was like, what do you mean? And I was like, okay, leave with me. So I gave you a thermometer. You gave me like a care pack. You were so gorgeous. I gave you a thermometer. <laughs> Mag, did, did magazines, magazines, lollies. Do people buy magazines? Oh, I don't know. You did. Brought, brought you magazines, chocolate. Chocolate, <laughs> lollies. I Pain relief. Potentially think, was there a bottle of wine in there? I, I, don't, I, know. I don't know. I don't know. You were so gorgeous. Pain, like, pain relief, the whole lot. <laughs> and turned it came up to my house your and apartment. The door. I was just like, through it. <laughs> and off you run. <laughs> down the hallway. See you later. Bye. And I'm like, and I messaged you from the car. Sorry, I just ran. I didn't even see you. I just. Chucked it out the lift. Oh, but, yeah, do you, yeah, that's do. right. You do get yeah. COVID. So. so I got COVID. So the surgery obviously was postponed. <clears throat> yes. And I think, um, I don't know what the rules are now, but it was there a six-week wait. So once you contract COVID that's, due to yeah. the anesthetic and the Such lungs, a wait. So you have to delay. wait. So there was a delay. So my surgery was pushed back um, six weeks. So fast forward to January. Oh, I'll never forget it. Oh, January 30 yeah. this year. So 2023. So what are we? That's 11 months ago. Yes. Um, I went in for endo. endo surgery. So we decided, yep, let's go and do the surgery, remove it from the bowel because I want to be fit to be a mum. So I had a lengthy conversation with my gynecologist and she sort of went through the pros and cons of surgery and this and that. And she said, like, thank God, looking back, so... Thank God she's um, so thorough and yes. really advocates for the patient and thank God that I'm intuitive with my body. So, yeah, went in for what I thought was having one one night in hospital. So I had my bag. My sister dropped me off. What happened? Um, it, was an, it was a twilight case. So I remember it was about 5 o'clock on the Monday night I was um, going in. And I remember sitting in the waiting room, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be fine. You know, I've, I've had three keyhole surgeries before. This is my fourth. It's a walk in the park. Yeah. Like, what's another lap? Um, so went in for the surgery and you, as I've done this before, like I'm a bit of a frequent flyer with the endo surgeries, um, usually prior to this, like you wake up from surgery and you've just got one of the recovery nurses there and they're just checking, you know, um, checking your obs and making sure, you know, are you okay, Elise? Wake up. Yes. For anyone that's had an anesthetic. And I woke up and I had my bowel surgeon on one side and Claire, my gynecologist, on the other. And there was two nurses at the foot of the bed. And, you know, you're kind of like sedated and you're, you're like, like all, looking all these around. people are yeah. looking at me. There's something like, what's happening here? And I remember my gynecologist, Claire, held my hand and I just looked at her and I just, she had a mask on actually, I remember, oh, but I could time. tell yeah. COVID, I could tell with her eyes and I just looked at her and I was like, what's wrong? And she actually did pull her mask down and she said, Elise, I'm so sorry, but we found a tumour and we're 99, I just remember it now, it's bringing a tear to my eye, but we're 99% sure that it's cancer. Yeah. And I was like. And you're in recovery. I'm in recovery. I'm on my own. I have no one with me. And I was just like, I just, like, I just remember screaming. I was just like, I pardon, like, cancer. I've come in for endosurgery. Like, this cannot, like, it can't be. Um, And I remember she said, you've got your next of kin as your mum. Do you want me to call your mum? I was like, yeah, I need my mum. Like, you know, I'm 36 crying for my mum. Like, I just wanted... That's what I yeah. wanted. And I remember watching her call mum and I just don't know how my mum would have coped. Like my parents live regional, so they're yeah. in Ballarat. I was in Melbourne. And then your sister's gone. Your yeah, sister's my sister, sister's had treatment. Yes. For cancer? 
for cancer for my sister was stage three bowel cancer um and my poor parents they must have just thought the worst like this can't be you know they've found a lesion in Elisa's bowel and it's potentially bowel cancer but you know we need to wait three days so this was the Monday night V and we need to wait three days for the pathology. I remember we got the call. You Yeah I spoke to you the following day. day, The following morning and I was like I'll never forget I was sitting in the lounge room and I was talking to you and you're like I have a 99% chance that I could have cancer. Cancer. And I was like the fuck? Like, sorry, Could, I was just couldn't like, it be the opposite? Yeah, a ninety-nine percent chance that it's unlikely cancer, yeah, but that one percent yeah. might be. And they no. said to you, remember, they said to you, if the go buy a lottery, go t- buy a tats lottery ticket. Yeah. If it's not, because you will be the luckiest girl alive. Yeah, and I was just like, I remember getting off the phone. I was talking to like Fabian. I was I like, what is just because that's not what we knew you were going for no. endosurgery. Like this is. Not what that was. Not what was planned. So then we, you had wheels in motion for the next stage. Yeah, it was pretty full on from there on. Like I, um, I remember. So that night, my sister, like I, I actually looking back, I wish they had have called her because she lives not too far from the yeah. hospital. So by the time they'd got wheeled me from recovery to the room, I had yeah. my sister there. So that was just like some a familiar face, someone that I could, you know. Um, confide in so and then my whole family like I'm one of four like I said you know they all came in the next morning but I just remember my sister Lana who had been through bowel cancer herself I just remember like you know actions speak louder than words she could barely like she could barely converse with me it was just like a kiss a hug and looked at me and she had to leave the room because I think she just saw sort of thought oh my god I know what's ahead of you like this is just she couldn't cope because it was triggering for her do you before your diagnosis and your sisters is there bowel cancer in the family there is yeah yeah so we do have a family history um So, unfortunately, our auntie passed away with it four years ago, um, but she was diagnosed a stage ahead of us, stage four, which essentially she went through surgery and chemo, but um, she then was terminal. And it's such a thing that it's an old person's disease, right? Absolutely. An old person's cancer. Such a taboo. Like, And it's not. No way. Like there is so the many. The poo test has to come at a different age. <laughs> Ab- well, they've just dropped it actually. Have so, they? Yep. They've brought the age down to 45. Do you think it needs to be younger again? I feel like they're trying. So they're doing they've got baby to do it in steps. Stages. So they're trying to bring it down to 40. But do you think, and I don't know, if you would have done a poo test, would it have been picked up? I haven't actually asked that question. However, when Lana was diagnosed yeah. because of our strong family history, her um, bowel surgeon and oncologist had said, okay, all your siblings and your family need to be screened. So myself, my other sister, Emma, yeah. and my brother, Luke, were yeah. all booked in to see colorectal surgeon. Beautiful. All had a yeah. scope. Yep. And so well, now they all just can't, this is just a routine thing. Routine too. thing. Yeah. 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 So my other sister actually suffers from um, ulcerative colitis. Okay. And my Which- brother. Which could, is like, like could be related yeah, because I was going to say triggering that symptoms. You don't know what they are. Colitis yeah. and Crohn's disease yeah, can have similar. like an increased risk yeah. of bowel cancer after a certain number of years. So we have a running all the joke now, Marcus. Yeah, yeah, in our family that the women in our family all have pretty shitty bowels. Pardon <laughs> the pun. And our brother's normal. <laughs> oh well, there you go. So it was. So then the results did come back, and you have three. 
stage, stage three, three bowel cancer. cancer. Yeah. So it was just a whirlwind from there. But I just want to add in, sorry, guys. Um, yeah. Sorry, V. No. I had had that scope 22 months prior to my endosurgery after my sister was diagnosed. So I'd had a colonoscopy. I remember. I remember. You were to having like, a check. It's yep. plum normal. Fine. I'm going to be so fine. So things had changed from 20... From 2021 yeah. to 2023. So it was 22 months exactly and a week, I think. And things had changed. Things had changed. So we had gone from negative, plum normal, no polyps, no nothing, yeah. to now a stage three, three tumour in my bowel. Yeah. I just, I can't, there's not even words. Yeah. So it was pretty, yeah, I guess um, not to ramble but just while I was in hospital. So things sort of, you know, I remember being in Epworth for a week and my surgeon, he was amazing, Jin, Jin yeah. and Claire collaboratively. Um, Jin had said, you know, so basically I had gone in for keyhole surgery, but yes. they had to do, ab- so I had consented for abdominal surgery. Yeah, because they can't plus or minus removal. It, until, yeah. they, until they got Because they don't in, know yeah. what they're seeing, yeah. Yeah, so I'd woken up and they said, you know, we've done keyhole, but we've also had to open you up yeah. because of the tumour. So... Thank God I had an amazing supportive team around me and my fertility specialist, Lyndon, was yes. actually in the surgery as well because he assists Claire and him operate with Together. each other. So I had this amazing team. Like I just can't thank them all enough. Like mm-hmm. I still to this day I go and see Claire and Jean quite frequently, my yeah. bowel surgeon and gynaecologist. And I'm like, you two and Lyndon have saved my and life. And I remember we had, well, the physios that have appeared on the potty. Yes. Came and, and Anne. Yeah, came and saw you have, yeah. while you're having treatment. I know. Like, Anne especially. Like Anne came to both hospitals, I remember, and she was giving me lymphatic massages. massage. She bought me beautiful flowers. Like everyone, I could just not... I can't thank everyone enough for being so amazing. So then you had another resection of the bowel? Yes. So I went home and recovered in hospital for a week, went home and recovered for two weeks. Yes. Um, and at this point in time, we didn't know the staging of the cancer. So yeah. it was confirmed that it was bowel cancer. Oh, that's but right, yeah. we didn't know the progression. And so whilst in hospital, I was sent down for a PET scan, which yeah. is like a full body scan to see if so there's if any, any other lesions, anywhere, lesions else. anywhere else in the body. So that was the scariest time of my life. I remember mum and dad were there with me. And I remember saying to mum, like, oh, my God, like, what if it's what if it's spread? Like, what are we going to like? And she's like, Elise, just one step at a time. time. Because you do, you just spiral when you're in that situation. Of like, course. You can't not think the worst. Yeah. Because the word cancer is so scary. Like, And it's interesting, and I know, like, we work in the medical industry and you look at statistics, but the statistics for that one percentage can completely change. You become that. Other statistics. Other statistics. And yeah. that's what your mind and going through because also you were going in for a surgery that you didn't realise that this is what you're going in for. So yes. you're like, well, where is this? What's, what's happening? You know? Yep. So you had your PET scan. In so I had my PET scan and I remember the results came back of that and my surgeon said to me, okay, they have actually found a lesion on your lung. Uh, it was a lesion on my lung and some spots it was inflammation in my liver and I just thought, oh, no, like I didn't think it's over but I was like, this is spread. Like yeah. what am I going to do? So for those, I think it was about two and a half weeks, I was just like ruminating, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Like I'm going to need chemo. You know, I'd planned to have two weeks off work. Being, and going back steps, yeah, you were doing this surgery because you were wanting, to, I was wanting to, to, start to start a family. family. 
And that was the plan. Like the sperm was ready to go. And that's, I think I didn't um, finish what I was saying before with Claire. She said, you need to be fit to be a mum. So I think the bet, you know, they can only advise what they suggest. And then you have to ultimately make that decision. So she said, if you're going to be a single parent, you need to be fit. You can't be having these symptoms. So maybe the best option would be to clear it all out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, my world was just completely turned upside down in a day. Like I'd gone in thinking, yep, remove the endo and then let's begin this baby journey, like journey to motherhood. And then to be told we've found a tumour and, you know, there's probably going to be further surgeries, potentially chemotherapy, but like it was step by step. There was so much going on. It was. It was a whirlwind. We were like appointment, appointment. Yeah. It happened pretty quick. You then it went did. into your next bowel resection. Yeah, I then went to Epworth Richmond for my second bowel resection, which was more full on because they weren't actually prepped for the cancer surgery for my endosurgery. Yep. So my colorectal surgeon um, was, you know, he's amazing and he had everything organised. So I went in for that one. Um, it was pretty full on. I remember going to ICU and those first 48 hours were pretty horrendous just because it was such major surgery. Yeah, and you were wanting to know what you were dealing with. Yeah. At the stage you knew that you had a tumour and care, but you didn't know what but it was. We didn't know the stage and progression. Yeah. So I remember um, that was on a Monday. I got out of ICU maybe on the Wednesday, went up to the ward. And I remember Jin, my surgeon, came up, I think he came up on the third, oh, he came every day, but on the Thursday he said, right, the pathology's come back, um, but I didn't, I can't find as many nodes as what I thought that I'd remove. So we just need the pathologist to do a little bit more investigating so we'll know more results tomorrow. But at that point he said, I think it's contained in the bowel. I can only give you my judgment until we get pathology confirmed. We think it's contained in the bowel, but we will still refer you to an oncologist, but it's likely that you may not need chemotherapy. So I'm thinking, oh, take the small wins. Like this is amazing. Um, and then Friday rolls around and Jin came in. I remember my parents and my sister were there um, and he came in with the unfortunate news that they have found more lymph nodes, but unfortunately it had spread to the lymph nodes. Um, so that's it's looking likely that I'll need some chemotherapy. So knowing what I'd gone through with my sister, what she had went through, she had six months of chemotherapy and I was just like, oh, my God, this basically has put my whole like journey of motherhood off. Like I'm not, you know, chemo, you can't have a baby with toxicity in your body and things like that. So my world was just like completely changed. So my focus at this point in time was to get me healthy and to sort of get through the chemo. So you had how many, you had six? I had six rounds rounds of chemo. Yeah, which was over three months. So I had half the amount of my sister. Yes. Um, just because hers had spread a little bit, bit beyond, more, yeah. a little bit more lymph nodes. Um, and I often say, but I had less than you. And she's like, but that doesn't matter. Like you've still gone through. It was like I was underselling myself. Like she's which like, is still nuts, go- girl. Still gone like, through geez. it. Jeez. <laughs> See how we're like, uh, how we were, we're so like, oh, but we're always under underestimating yeah. what we're going through. Yeah. 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 You've just been diagnosed with stage three bowel cancer and you're still like down. Like, but you know, mine's not. Mine's only like six rounds. I don't need 12 rounds. (laughs) It doesn't matter. You're going through chemotherapy. And in this beautiful time. In this beautiful time. So literally three weeks before my surgery, I met a beautiful man. Yay. Who's now my partner, Kieran. Um, And I honestly thought, you know, it's, it's funny how the stars align at a certain time. Like it was just like. I feel like this was meant to be. Like I'm going through one of the worst times in my life, but yet the stars have aligned and 
And so he stood, sent me this stood by man. you while you were going through chemo. He stood through me. I, I tried to push him away and I was like, this is going to be the worst time of my life. You don't need this. Like, yeah. see you later. And yeah. he did the polar opposite and said, Elise, I knew you before you got sick and this changes nothing. Um, yeah, so Kieran's been amazing through it all and obviously knowing what my plan was, having children, you know, was, children a big, was a big yeah. thing. And so you have recently been on, been on the TV, on the news. Oh, yes. Spreading awareness for yes. bowel cancer, right? I have. So yep. Olivia Newton-John is there. Yep. Tell Yeah, so the Olivia Newton-John Cancer Research Institute reached out to me um, to sort of be a bowel cancer patient advocate. Um, They did some amazing research on bowel cancer and how tumours, like how the digestive and gut microbiome can have such an impact in bowel cancer cases and how it's becoming more and more prevalent in younger people. Yeah. Um, So that was some pretty groundbreaking research. So you're spreading like this body, right? You're spreading spreading information on freezing eggs. Yes. Do it, girls. Yeah. If I can give one word of advice, you're (laughs) contemplating pregnancy and, you know, it's not the right time. Do your 2020. Do your 2020 and do it. You will never regret it. Endometriosis. Yep. Yeah. Listen yep. to your body. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Find the answers to get a diagnosis. Listen to your body. And if you're feeling like your specialist or your GP is like, you know, putting you, you know, like sort of um, dismissing you, no, 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 it's just period. Find the answers. Find the answers. Seek a second opinion. Go and get another opinion because. And then, yeah, you're a cancer survivor. Ca- I am. Yeah. And now we can't wait. Get you on in the next who knows what the next pod is going to be Who talking knows? about. Who knows what's about. ahead of and in so my future. in the in the aspects of and um, when it comes to having a baby now, mm-hmm. what is your team? said for you? Yeah. So my oncologist, um, that was one of the biggest questions actually at my last appointment because I'd, you know, done some Googling as we all do, spoken to people and a lot of, you know, each oncologist is different, but I was of the understanding when my journey began that it would be 12 months wait that I have to wait before I try to conceive just due to the chemo and the toxicity in your body, which really was upsetting for me because, you know, I'm 36, my fertility is diminishing. Um, But thankfully, because I'd only had the six rounds, um, he's happy for me to sort of have the six-month window to start. So hopefully that will be on the agenda for next year. So watch this space. Yeah, who knows what might be ahead. Honestly, you're an inspiration. Oh, thank you, V. I've got off the phone going, oh, my God, and then, you know, watched you in the last six months what you've gone through and being in such a happy pace, even though you're going through that with finding someone by your side. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you're going to cry. You're going to this podcast. (laughs) You're going to make me cry. But it is. You're an absolute inspiration. Keep spreading awareness. I will. On all three levels. (laughs) Um, But thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having Um, me. And I just want to say you've been such an amazing support. Like, you know, like I said to you, when I first began this solo parenting journey, like, you were nothing but amazing. I was like, V, I'm going to need you. Can you be my daughter? Is it a conflict? And I'm you were still like, going to no. be your daughter, girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you have been amazing. Yeah, so, so thank you. No, thank you for thank you coming, thank coming you. on and sharing. Yeah. Thank you for having me. No worries. This podcast is brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. For more, join our Facebook group, The Modern Doula. <laughs>